everybody, it's Play to Innovate, the innovation show that goes beyond the hype. Now here's your host, my dad, Brett Schwab. Welcome to another episode of Play to Innovate. Today, I want to talk to you about a cure for the status quo. What do the steam train, the car, the telephone, and Apple removing the headphone jack from their phones all have in common? Well, there are developments that broke the status quo, but pissed off a bunch of people. Now, as a designer, I open myself up to criticism every day. So I'm no stranger to hearing critique and actually outright mean criticism for taking a risk. And in fact, one of my favorite quotes that actually sometimes gets me through the day is Harrison's postulate, which says, for every action, there's an equal and opposite criticism. And on top of that, I have had people say, oh, no, no, you mean every for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, which is actually a law of thermodynamics. So yeah, you'll get criticized for your quotes about criticism. So I recognize that there is a big social risk to challenging the status quo, and I recognize that there's also a big risk in a business sense to challenging the status quo. But the reality is, in general, people do like change, especially when it's their idea, and they hate it when they feel like it's put on them. Now, case in point, when my son needed headphones for school, I went to the store thinking I'd be able to find a good, inexpensive pair like, quote, always. <laughs> what I found was that the old-fashioned corded headphones that the school was asking for are now either massively expensive, audiophile quality, or geared towards small children, you know, like the pink or blue with Disney characters on them. So not exactly what a teenager would want in his backpack. The rest of the selection was filled with a variety of moderately expensive earbuds, kind of too good and too fragile for a teen's backpack. Needless to say, I was annoyed that the industry had changed on me without asking my permission first. And what I was really upset about was that someone else changed my status quo. And I get that innovation and improvement happens even when we're not looking. Kind of what I found a little hilarious in all of this was that someone is now producing retro-style wireband orange foam headphones like you get with an 80s-era Walkman. Only now these are wireless. All this change is great when it's thoughtful and well-executed. And it's actually even acceptable if there are flaws, but you have to make sure that those flaws are something that you can work around or work with, or you know that it's going to be improved quickly. However, change is annoying when we don't see the point or it comes too fast. Now, still, I'm a huge fan of risk takers. I really am. And I love watching someone strike out and push boundaries or break past the status quo. Being a pioneer is never easy. As my friend always says, stepping out of the crowd just makes you an easier target for the people throwing tomatoes. But in the end, Taking the risk can lead to much greater things for both you and the world at large. It's easy to be a critic, but it's always tough to be the doer. There are things you can do to keep people excited about the changes you introduce, though. Of course, like most human nature, it's kind of this spectrum of people who don't like change to all the way to those who love it, with the majority of folks kind of somewhere in the middle. Luckily, we're dealing with human nature, which we've seen time and again doesn't really change. Actually, as my mom always said, times change, people don't. 
And as I've grown older, I see how right she really was. If you don't believe me, just look at the protests and backlash against kind of the steam train, automobiles, and now the removal of headphone jacks. So what I'm telling you hasn't changed much in the last 200 years, nor do I believe it will in the next 200 years. And I know there are a metric ton of articles about changing the status quo or changing a status quo culture and changing your personal status quo. So before I dive into the how... I think it's important to explain the why, and I think you'll also see that my how, what I'm about to talk about, is quite different than what I've been reading out there in other articles. Mind you, this is all from my psychology from designer's point of view, which is how I've actually successfully dealt with clients and colleagues for the last 15 years or so. And if you're asking, if you're doing the math, I have been in the industry for over 20 years. So the other five years was actually just me figuring it all out. So these principles will apply whether you're running a small business, you're a consultant, or, well, okay, whatever. Whatever you're doing, um, you're all dealing with people. So these principles will apply for you. Now, keep in mind that everyone wants the same things. First, they want to be respected. In fact, Just showing the people you serve that you respect them as people, not sources of income, eyes on a screen, or whatever snappy little term you might be using, will not only shock them, but it's something that they aren't finding very often. So you'll already be setting yourself ahead or apart from the crowd when you do show people respect as people. The other thing people want is to know what to expect. This fact is often missed, which surprises me because it is so critical. So it is so critical, I'll actually say it again. People want to know what to expect. And I think it really feeds into our basic flight or fight response, just on a more complex level sometimes. Whether it's knowing what's around the corner, you don't want to have a tiger jump out at you kind of thing, or how much something will cost, or what to expect on the first day of work. It's a basic thing for all of us. And then you'll also find that people want to be a part of something. From being a part of a club or a group, especially if you're the insider in that club or group, people need to feel that they belong. After all, we are social creatures. And then you see from the car they drive, the title they hold, even their status as married or single, things like that, People want to know that they belong to a special club. In fact, studies have shown that people like things more when they've actually had a hand in building them. To me, all of these points lead to one central theme of needing to feel safe and comfortable. And I'll explain all of that in a bit. But people tend to feel safe when things are predictable. And that's why the status quo is so inviting. And that's why I spend so much time mentioning all of this. It also explains brand loyalty and the success of franchises and chain stores. The brand loyalty thing you can see in some products where people are just fans of that product and they feel like they're part of a community. And it's the old story that franchises and chain stores, things like that, are familiar and comfortable. So people like them. But as uncomfortable and even scary as it can be, we can and must break past the status quo. Now, that's why I say it all starts with our need to know what to expect. 
I believe everyone has their things that prompt them to fight and things that drive them to flight on an individual level. In other words, the things that they feel safe or comfortable around and things that they fear or make them angry. If you look at what makes people feel comfortable, it's things that they know and understand. It's oftentimes things that they grew up with, too. As the world changes faster and faster around us, the desire for those comfortable knowns becomes even stronger. Especially as people get older and life gets more complex, we often see that the things that we knew when we were younger are things that we gravitate towards now. It's not that it was any easier back then, just that we can look back and kind of know what to expect. After all, I think that school and the teen years were pretty difficult for all of us. But looking back, we kind of have those fond memories of things that we now understand and know. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think we all need a strong foundation that we can lean on. And we all need that place that feels safe to go back to and kind of get some rest from time to time, especially when things get really stressful. But there's also a lot that can be said about having the strength to leave that safe place on a regular basis and especially challenge our thinking. Now, for the last five months, I've been talking with businesses about their future development efforts. Way too many, in my opinion, talked about how they rarely, if ever, talk with the people using their products. They believe that somehow they have enough in-house knowledge to predict what they need to provide. They talk about how they develop personas to guide their work. And if you're not familiar with a persona, it's basically a story that we develop about the people using our product or service, and it's supposed to talk about who that person is, what they like and don't like, what they need throughout the day, things like that. And to some degree, you can look at a persona and kind of predict what that person will be repelled by or attracted to and and what they might need. But this is where a lot of people make the mistake of making that prediction without actually speaking to the people that they're talking about. I have never ceased to be surprised by the responses I get from product testing. Now, I'll go in believing that I found the perfect solution, only to be told something completely outside the responses that I even predicted I might get. On about half of my projects, the responses I got actually changed the direction of the design in a fundamental way. And I'm always surprised at the things that people choose to have a strong reaction to. I once drew an illustration of a woman for a website. And I put her in a kind of a business casual outfit and a pair of heels. It was the heels that did it. This is the one small aspect of her outfit that drew some of the strongest criticism. And so I changed the shoes to flats. But funny enough, I got just as strong a reaction from another test group. And it's not that I couldn't win. I actually eventually put her in low heels. So kind of everybody was happy. My point being, the only thing you can predict is that you'll always be surprised by people's reactions. When people don't feel comfortable with something, of course they're going to have a strong reaction to it, which can't explain the drive to stick with the status quo. The status quo, after all, is familiar. So even if it is uncomfortable, it's still predictable, and people will tend to stick with it. This is why it can take years to change corporate culture. It explains why people stay in jobs that they hate for way too long. It explains why I still have the same car after 15 years. It may be uncomfortable or outdated, but we know what to expect. And I hate dealing with the dealership. 
wanting to know what to expect also explains why people don't like change unless it's their idea. Of course, there are a lot of people who are more comfortable with change than others. I even find that my level of pushing limits and status quo can seriously irritate some people. But no matter our comfort level with change, we still like it better when it's our decision. And the reason is, when something is our idea, we often know what to expect, or, well, at least believe we know what to expect. And we have control over the situation and feel that we can handle it to some degree. Or, again, at least we believe we have control over the situation. In other words, we're kind of all control freaks who just want to feel safe and secure. Which is exactly why people don't like change that's not their idea. They don't know what to expect. And, unfortunately, no one tends to tell them. Which is why clearly explaining what to expect is an easy place to differentiate yourself. Especially when delivering positive news. After all, when people believe they know what to expect, and it's mostly positive, they're probably going to get excited. At worst, they probably won't mind as much. And you can see this in product launches, when something significant was changed. I remember when Apple removed the headphone jack from the iPhone. I was actually in the store watching this, and with all the outcry, you would have thought that they kicked somebody's puppy. I believe the reaction was so strong, not because they made a change that caused a lot of inconvenience, but they just didn't prepare their audience well enough. All people knew was that they now had to buy a $60 or $100 set of earbuds if they wanted to buy the new phone. And I believe that if Apple had helped them understand what to expect and maybe had marketed it a little bit better, the reaction would probably still have been negative, but maybe not quite so strong. Now, think about my other examples of innovation that pissed people off, like the train and automobile, which we actually now take for granted. The only reason is that their value and benefit proved out over time. People now understand what to expect. But at the time they were introduced, all the upset people knew was that their status quo was being disrupted in some major or fundamental way that they would now have to deal with. For example, so while the first railroads were successful, there was this strong opposition to new ones starting to come from like canal and stagecoach companies and wagon drivers. So, you know, uh, wagon trains going across country to, out to the West, all as they saw their livelihood, their status quo threatened. And now this may sound like a familiar story today if you look at you know, things like coal companies and things like that. What also might sound familiar is how sometimes those protests even turned violent. And at the time, religious leaders spoke out about trains as sacrilegious. But there is a cure for the status quo. Just know that it's, it's not magic, and it won't happen overnight. It all starts with partnering with the employees that need to change or the people using your product. And it goes beyond buy-in. And if you're not familiar with the term buy-in, it's basically marketing speak for getting someone to agree or accept, to some, or accept something. But you want to go beyond buy-in to actually letting them in on some aspect of the decision-making process. I actually mentioned this to a few people in the conversations I've been having over the last few months, and their eyes bugged out. They couldn't believe I would suggest such a thing. Their status quo was that the designer or the company should have all the answers and provide that solution. They didn't talk, they, 
They didn't believe that getting input from outside the company was acceptable. But the truth is, I've had the most success when I can help people understand that what I'm doing is for their benefit. I then sincerely and actively seek their input. There are three things I want to understand. First, I want to understand what concerns them and what would reassure them. And that comes from listening to their concerns and asking confirming questions that actually might even suggest end results that they might want. I also want to understand what would make them feel successful in using the product. What, in their words, is the best outcome for them. And then finally, I want to understand what their unmet needs are, which can be the most challenging question for them because people often don't really know. Although, don't underestimate them because you actually might be very pleasantly surprised and you actually might, once in a while, get a deluge of unmet needs that you can then work on. And I get it. I get that the business has needs such as keeping the shareholder happy and staying within budget and yada, 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 on and on and on. But how long do you think that your status quo is going to keep your customers happy and coming back? Really think about that. Give it a number. Is it two years, five years? From what I've seen, it's somewhere in the two to five year range. And actually lately, it's probably closer to the six, to, six month to one year range. It's easy to become complacent or even arrogant when you're making money, especially if you have a fan base. And I've worked with some people who have grew really arrogant. But don't count on a locked-in audience or a fan base or being ahead of the curve. Audiences leave. You've seen this with Facebook as their numbers are slowly dwindling as people start leaving the platform. And fans are the first people to get the most pissed off at something. And someone right now, I guarantee, is planning a product that is going to eat your market. So things may be going well, but give it two years, give it five years, or even ten years. It's been proven time and again that everything has a lifespan. It's also easy to allow every excuse you can think of to hold you back. Not wanting to alienate your audience, that's a popular one. Or letting the cost of updating manufacturing equipment stop you is another one I've heard. Believing you don't have the resources or people to update your product is, well, that's a, actually a popular one in software. And on a personal level, I've heard that, oh, my work or management style gets results, so I don't need to change. All of those things are just signs of essentially accepting your fate and failing. I've watched that happen so many times. It's it's really hard to watch, really. But there is a cure for the status quo, and it starts from the bottom up. First, everyone needs to know that the status quo won't last, and it can't be maintained. It can be built on, sure, and you can grow from where you are, but everyone needs to know that their role plays a part in that growth. It means also breaking past your own confirmation biases and constantly looking at new research and ways of doing things. Don't allow yourself to believe that you know the right way so that you don't have to change, such as the concept of my work or management style gets results so I don't have to change. It may actually help to do some research in the way researchers do it, which is to go into things looking for strong evidence that disproves your beliefs, and then changing from there. And if you can't find that strong evidence, then hey, maybe you're right. 
But I think it's important to stop here for a second and mention that I'm not saying that your company overall has to grow. I know some people are really happy with kind of being a consultant or with this small group or this small company that they have. More than that, I'm talking about what you produce has to continually grow and become what your audience and the market want, which means keeping an eye on the changes that are coming a year, two years, five years ahead, and planning for that early on. Another component to the cure for the status quo is to do what it takes to make sure everyone remembers they are serving people through their products and services and the work that they do. You want to go beyond personas to learning about the person. A persona is only a snapshot in time, remember that. And they often are simplistic, focused views on a person that forgets about the surrounding issues that can actually be more important to that person. For example, if I gave you a persona about Jack the plumber, who uses your call service to book appointments, his persona might only include information about what he does on the job or on a call with a customer. What most likely is missing is that he is a single dad who wants to cut off his work hours at 4.30 to be home with his young son. And it actually might also miss the fact that he teaches a class at a trade school. It may not actually be obvious to you how those aspects of someone's life play a role in the product design or performance, but when you talk to that person, they often will reveal those things for you. All this means is you want to talk to and about people in the right way. And I talked about this actually in episode 7 when I talked about rehumanizing people. So I won't recap all of that. But just remember that it means wanting to talk with the person to sincerely hear them and learning how to translate what they say into end results that they want, the direction you take, and the opportunities that you find. Now, I've talked about this example a few times in the past, and I believe I also talked about it in episode 7, but I think it works well to illustrate my point, so I'll repeat it here. A few years ago, I was dealing with an angry client who said that they were going to leave for a competitor if we didn't implement this uh, very specific solution that they gave us. Now, the status quo in that company at the time would have said to give them what they want, but their solution didn't work. It actually would have upset every other client that they had at the time. And I didn't accept that. I actually went away. I told them I would take a look at what they had said and I uh, actually asked them what end result they were looking for and confirmed that. And I returned with a solution that not only was simple and made them happy, but they said, oh, we didn't even think of that. And they stuck around. They continued to be our client for quite a long time. The point is people want to be heard. That client just wanted to be heard in many ways. They wanted the end result that they got, but they also just wanted to be heard. They hadn't been listened to in quite a while. And if you can genuinely show people that you're listening and taking action as best you can, you're going to outshine three quarters of the people out there. So don't be afraid to explain your restrictions and that you may not yet have an answer for them. Be sure not to just say that you're working on the issue, but also give them appropriate updates. And again, help them understand what to expect. This applies to individual clients, but it also applies to a general public audience. Now, I think that this goes without saying, but you want to have a plan to constantly see what's coming next. And it's not just about market forces. It's your audience is constantly changing. 
but it's up to you to get comfortable with the things that you might not like so that you can roll with those changes and better still, even get ahead of them, meaning change before you have to, change before your audience starts screaming at you. As my wife and I tell our kids, there are going to be things that you don't want to do, but you have to do them if it's in your best interest. And often that means challenging your own status quo so that you can move past where you are. Finally, know how to define your project so that you can find the best solutions. It's easy to fall into the trap of saying, well, we need to change, but, and then listing any number of reasons that you want there. Not putting the energy into thinking creatively around those roadblocks is actually what's holding you back. And if you look, that's part of your status quo, is to potentially say, well, we need to do this, but we can't because. But finding solutions can be fun and actually low energy. You don't have to put a ton of mental energy into finding solutions. And it doesn't have to be drudgery. And this is why I actually I developed Play to Innovate. I wanted to help people get past the I can't style thinking and start understanding that finding solutions is fun. It can be a group effort and you can move past where you are. Now, if you're looking for a quick fix for the status quo, honestly, it actually starts with you. No matter where you are in an organization, just start to push the limits. Now, of course, be careful to do your research. Help people understand what you're doing and what they can expect from all of that. And talk about the outcome you hope to achieve and get their feedback, especially from your leadership. I made the mistake of pushing the status quo in the wrong way, and I ran into some political fallout and, quite frankly, epic levels of fear. I believe if I took my own advice, I would have actually been more successful in more areas. Instead, I got a reputation for pushing boundaries and not knowing my place in an organization with a strict hierarchy. Even though I gained a reputation as a problem solver and innovator, which is why I was tolerated, I was not able to actually advance my career there and eventually just had to leave. Now, if you are a leader, partner with everyone in the process. I would first introduce the need for innovation and change, then make it everyone's project. Talk about the end result you're looking to achieve and the benefits everyone will gain, and then Give people a voice to share their concerns and ideas. One of the greatest gifts you can give everyone is to follow up with your understanding of the situation and next steps. It would be best if each person could actually then develop their own plan, but they really shouldn't be left to their own devices. After all, there are a million excuses for sticking to where they are, sticking to their status quo, especially if there's no way for them to measure or celebrate progress. This is what a leader actually did for my group, and we actually felt more in control and ready to make some real changes for the better. And leaders, be sincere. Remember, your honest investment in your people's feelings is part of helping them break past their status quo. And people will pick up on insincerity. I had actually one leader who thought that she sounded so sweet and sincere and everybody knew she couldn't care much less and uh, was actually kind of ready to leave the company herself. But it always goes back to the individual. As you push yourself, you'll learn the, that the fears and discomfort of getting past where you are will go away. You'll get stronger. 
over time, the excuses will actually even be easier to recognize, and you can call them out as the excuses they are. And I'm talking about in your own mind, too. I'm not, I'm not talking about your colleagues here. Just wanted to make sure I was clear on that. Now, you may never become a big risk taker, but there's actually absolutely nothing wrong with trying new things in a measured way. Again, just don't let the excuses hold you back. If I can leave you with anything, though, remember, as comfortable as you are now, or as difficult as it may seem to make a positive change, your current situation is not going to last. If you don't decide to change, and then actually change, someone or something else will do it for you. And I can guarantee that it will both come when you least expect it and are least prepared. And I'm speaking from experience here. All right. Well, I hope that you've gotten something out of what I was talking about today. I will talk to you later. Have a great day. Bye. While I have you here, if you are ready to go to that next step and learn more, check out my book, Play to Innovate. You will find it on Amazon.com. Just search for Play to Innovate and you will find the book. If you would like to set up a workshop for your group or your company, let me know at brett at fivepebblesllc.com. That's B-R-E-T at fivepebblesllc.com. Those two to three hour dynamic workshops are hands-on training that will take you step-by-step through one of your projects. We will better define that project as end results and benefits. You'll also look at the things that might be holding you or your company back so that you can better change them. We will then go through a dynamic, fun, play to innovate session to find solutions for your project. And then the follow-up will be a time for Q&A and to better define those solutions we found in the play to innovate game session. Everybody will leave feeling fully equipped to use the techniques and mindset, not only to complete the project that we started in the workshop, but also on their future work. So again, if you are ready to set up a workshop, contact me at bret at fivepebblesllc.com. That's the number five, pebblesllc.com. Talk to you later. Bye.